Good morning, church. Are we still adjusting to the time change? Or are we getting a whole... It takes a while to make that adjustment. At least it does for me. Welcome. Glad to be here with all of you this morning and uh, get to go through uh, the Word of God together, get to sing praises to Him together. Beautiful time of worship this morning uh, as a family. So let's do this. Let's get our Bibles open. Second Timothy, you don't have to be uh, a genius to know that. We've been going through that book. If you need a Bible, uh, your first time here or you left yours at home or the, the dog ate it or something like that, then just put your hand up. Guys in the back will bring you one. Second Timothy is where we're going to be studying this morning. You know, we give a lot of time at Calvary Chapel to the Word of God. I spoke on that a little bit last week. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word. And, and if we're going to be workers for God, uh, we need to understand and be able to know what His Word says. And also, we'll learn in a couple of weeks in Second Timothy that it's the Word of God, that all Scripture is God-inspired and profitable. So that the man of God can be fully equipped for every good work. So by coming here together, getting into the word, digging in, uh, not only are we being transformed personally, but we're also being prepared for the things God has for us to do. For those of us that are concerned with and want to fully serve the Lord, we get fully equipped. So this is the equipping time, but this isn't, and what I'm saying is this isn't the end of things right here. This is not what we live for to come here. This is where we get equipped to go out and do the things that God is equipping us to do. Be ashamed to go to the, to the store and buy a tent and a sleeping bag and, and all the gear and the camping equipment and then never go camping. That'd be kind of a waste, wouldn't it? So consider that. Bibles are open. Second Timothy, let's pray. Lord, we um, sit before you Asking you to quiet our hearts. Asking you to take our minds. Help us to attend to your word. Help us to consider a little more deeply than superficial what things are being said this morning and every morning. And every time we open your word, I pray, Lord, that by the power of your spirit, we would be able to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the things that just hurt us and hurt others, the things that lead us uh, down a path away from you. You've given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. But Lord, we confess that we get in the way. Our natural desires and our ambitions and our sinfulness just gets in the way and we quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. And we don't like that about ourselves, Lord. What we love is to walk in that intimacy with you and obedience and enjoy uh, with our eyes focused on things above and not on things of the earth until the day that we see you face to face and everything that we wondered and all the questions we had uh, just fade away as we stand in your presence. And then, Lord, um, everything will be clear. So, Lord, take this passage and use it to our benefit and to the benefit of your kingdom, Lord. We want to be used by you in Jesus' name. And all God's precious people said, 
Amen. Amen. It's a good way to start. We're open in 2 Timothy. Uh, and I'll just ask this question. Are you being used by God? Are you being used by God? Maybe a better question is, do you want to be used by God? Maybe even a better question is, God uses people? He does? He does. It still is remarkable to me that God uses people. Now, be careful when I say God uses people. I know if I say to you, have you ever been used? That has a negative connotation, doesn't it? Yeah, I had a boss or was in a relationship. I really To be used, when we look at it in that way, is really to be abused. And that's not what we're talking about. So I want to make sure when I talk uh, about being used by God, that's not in the negative sense. It's in the positive sense. If you might say, well, I've got these, the, I want to get this job. And I, I might go to the interview and say, I really think that I could be used here in this, in this workplace. I think I could be used here in this situation in a positive way, meaning I want my skills, I want my education to be put to work for practical things. And this is the place that that can happen. So are we on, on board when I say, being used by God, that's not abused, but being used, being used by God. Um, isn't it amazing that the God of the universe, who needs nothing, who is complete in and of himself, who chooses to work in and among this world, people, your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, the people you work with, when he wants to do that, he chooses to use people to do it. Now, I would never do that because <laughs> I know you and I know me and I know I can be hard-headed and thick-skulled and tough to get through to and hard to use and like a horse that can't be reined in, you know, it can't. God, there's got to be an easier way. And you know what? There is. There is an easier way. He can just do it himself. But when he chooses to use people, it gives him all the glory. He, otherwise, people would kind of, oh, that was just a coincidence, or, or, or that was just the... And when, when God uses me, when he uses you, people look on and they say, how did you do that? Or why did you do that? When people see our good works, if we do them in the right way, with the right attitude, they don't glorify us, they glorify our Father in heaven. So back to my question... Number one, do you want to be used by God? We've established God uses people. He puts his treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellence of the power may be of him and not of us. He uses people. The question is, is he using you? And I don't know the answer to that. And don't think that just because you're not doing anything great, you're not a, a church planter or a Bible study teacher or you know, some very visible thing, that doesn't mean that God is not using you. God can use you with your children. He can use you in your marriage. He can use you at your workplace. Uh, Mother Teresa used to say there's, there's no big deeds with God, only small deeds done with great love. So don't think that being used by God is just being used by God. It's, it could be, I'm just being used by God. But you know in your heart the answer to that. And if you're, if you're thinking about it, going, I don't know if I'm being used by God. I mean, I don't really think about being used by God. I don't even know what he wants me to do or how to do it. I don't even know what I would do if I wanted to be used by God. Well, I'm glad you're here this morning because that's exactly what we're going to talk about. But those of you that, that, that are, that, that say, yes, I want to be used by God. Or maybe you're saying, I am being used by God. 
It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful to be a tool, an instrument in the hands of the mighty God. You find yourself doing things and going places and being involved in in areas that you never thought you'd be in. And this is what Paul, the aged apostle, wants to ensure in the life of his 30-something protege, Timothy. After he dies, he doesn't want anything to get in the way of Timothy being used fully by God. Not just being used, because so often when we talk about being used by God, we have a very minimalist attitude about things. Well, just we want just the minimum. I, I want to just I want to enjoy all these things in my life over here, and maybe I'll do one little thing here. I'll just show up to church, you know. Uh, I'll just do that, and that'll be my thing for God. You know, God can use me. I'll, I'll do something little at church, and that's it. And, and, and that's okay. You can choose that if you want. God's not going to force you. It's you that miss out. It's me that misses out when we have an opportunity to be fully, fully used by God to the, to the best of our capacity and the capacity of what he's given us. So Paul wants to communicate this to Timothy as he is ready to pass into eternity. Timothy remaining on the earth, meeting all the challenges and having to deal with all the stuff that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, things that distract, things um, that detract from our our walk with God and our service to Him. So we left off in chapter 2, verse 19, as we we looked at verse 19, but I'm just going to get a running start so we have the context. Uh, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. This is the, the engraving on the foundation of the house of God. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And now he gives an illustration. And Paul's great at illustrating things, and I love that about his teaching. Uh, verse 20, But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then we'll talk about how to do that in the following verses. But look what he says. He gives an example right off the bat. Timothy, think about a great house, not a little, not a, not a poor man's shack, but think about a wealthy man's house. We went to Europe a few years and got to go visit some of the castles in Germany. Wow. I mean, you go and you get a tour through and, and they are fancy and there's all kinds of fancy things in them. There's candelabras and you, you know, all kinds of vessels, uh, pots and, and things that are used in a household. There's things for cooking and of course there's the chalice, the, the, the things you would put out when your esteemed guest came. There's the nice china, the nice stuff that you put out when the, the esteemed guests come. And then there's the things that are not so honorable, there's the things that are for honor, for serving honored guests and for, for being treated well. And then there are those things that are for dishonor. We don't have them today, but in that day they would have had the chalice and the chamber pot. You know what a chamber pot is. I'm not explaining it. It, it, it goes under the bed and they didn't have indoor plumbing. That's all I'll say. So if, if nature called in the middle of the night... Uh, you had, and some of the chamber pots were ornate. In our house, we have uh, a compost bin, a 
compost bucket. Anybody else compost in here? You put all the, the food in there and then you take it out to the, put it in the yard or in the garden somewhere. The compost bin, it's a vessel in our house and it serves a great purpose. But it's sort of a purpose to dishonor. That thing gets to smell. And so we have, and I don't know if you have this argument in your house. Helga and I have consistently have this discussion. Uh, I said argument first. I'll change that. It's discussion. It's a sanctified discussion uh, about whether or not you're supposed to uh, wash the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. So I say, yes, you've got to rinse those things. But she says, no, the dishwasher's made to do that. So when she washes the dishes, uh, they don't get washed before they go in. And she's, she'll call me over, and she'll open it up, and she'll prove me, see, it's clean, and I didn't rinse it. But sometimes, we, don't, we, don't, we have an old dishwasher, and sometimes when we pull those, we, we open it up, and it seems like the dishwasher just blows the food around somehow in there. And you look at your glass, and there's, it's going through the drying cycle, and, and you pull out the glass, and you go, oh, no, that's got to go through again. You know, you've got to have to hand and so imagine if you came over to the house, and, and I go, can I get a drink? Oh, yeah, sure, I'll get you something to drink. What would you like, water, iced tea, you want some milk, what do you want? I don't know, it doesn't matter, whatever you've got. So I go over and I, to, the, to the cupboard, and I get you a glass, and I pull it out, and it's one of those ones that went through that blowing the food around cycle, and it's just all caked on there and been dried on there. And it's a clear glass, and I hand it to you with, you know, put water in it, hand it to you, and you're going to look at that. I, I said, I wouldn't do that. I'd look at that glass. And I'd say, oh, man, that thing is still dirty. I can't use that, right? And I'd get you a clean one. Isn't that what you would do? I hope if I came to your house. But there's a great diversity of vessels in a house. And, there's a, and the house is the visible church. It's us. We're vessels. We're called vessels, as I quoted before. We put this, God says he puts this treasure in earth in vessels. So we're vessels. Some are of gold and silver, some of Wood and clay. Some are just pottery and, um, and, and others are made of gold. And I don't know that he's making a distinction there other than that there's a diversity in the body of Christ. And then there's another diversity. Some vessels are for honor. And some vessels are for dishonor. They're, they're all usable. They're all useful to a certain degree. But some of them, you just can't serve your guests with that. You know, if you came over and, and I served you dinner in a dog bowl. I kick the dog away, dump out the food, and then put in your soup. Here you go. No, that's a vessel for dishonor. I'm not going to serve that. Serve that. It's for the dog. And so he says, therefore, if. Notice that word. Don't skip that over. He says, if. If who? So if means maybe yes, maybe no. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. It's up to you. You see, God has given you everything. He, there's... Nobody who's fallen short, like God gives, the Bible said God does not give his spirit by measure. I mean, he doesn't give a little bit of his spirit to you, and a little bit of his spirit to you, and then, oh, more to that person. The question is, how much of his spirit are you quenching? Not, how much is he giving you, okay? So we have to make sure. So it says, if. If who? And this is so comforting. If anyone. Anyone. You see, we can limit the work of God in our lives. He says, if anyone, it doesn't matter where you grew up, it doesn't matter if you went to school or not, it doesn't matter uh, any of those things. It doesn't matter 
The color of your skin doesn't matter. The social or economic group that you fall in, none of that. It says, if anyone does what? Cleanses himself. From what? From the latter. What is the latter? Dishonor. You see, I find this about Christians is sometimes we're just satisfied to be saved. Well, I've gotten saved and God saved me and, and then we just sort of sit on it. But there's something greater. There's, it's to be used by God. And if you want to be used by God, now remember, God has done a cleansing work in your life. He's put the old man to death. But then the Bible says you're also to put off the old man and his deeds. The things that the old guy, the guy before you were saved did, those things you get rid of. And the extent to which you do that, you let go of those things, you, you get out of that stuff, is the extent to which God is able to use you. Some of you maintain and hold on to attitudes. Or ways of thinking or certain sinful tendencies that you know are there and you just don't feel like dealing with them. And that's okay, God says. I can still use you, but I can only use you a little. I can only use you for certain things. There are certain things I just can't use you for. And in the context, I think specifically we're going to be talking about quarreling and being argumentative. And if you're someone that just seems that trouble and drama just seem to follow you wherever you go, it might not be everybody else's fault. You might have to look in the mirror and wonder, what is it that I'm doing and how is that keeping me from being used by God? It's a great motivator. It's a great motivator. So he says, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from dishonorable things and, and dishonorable vessels, if you're hanging out with people that are dishonorable vessels, stop hanging out with them. He's going to talk about that in a minute. Then he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and what? Useful for the master. Useful for the master. God can pull you off the shelf and say, ah, I can use this one. Useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Prepared for how many? For for this specific good work or for that specific good work? No, prepared. By cleansing yourself, again, there's the work of God on our behalf, and then there's our work. If anyone cleanses himself, then he will be useful. I want to be, you want to be useful? You want to be useful to God? I do. And prepared, not just useful, but prepared for every good work. Doing this, understanding what's being said, will prepare you not just for any good work, but for every good work. For anything that God calls on you to do. So how do we do that, Steve? What, what's the, what does that look like practically? Well, verse 22 gives us a hint. First he says, flee also youthful lusts. You want to cleanse yourself from dishonor? Then Flee youthful lust. There's some things you have to run from. Sometimes we consider running to be a very chicken thing to do. I'm not, I'm not running, I'm standing here. When it comes to sin, run. Run as fast as you can. When you sense it, when you know it in your heart when it's happening, when you're engaging in something that you ought not to be engaged in, and then you continue to stay there and coddle that sin and play around, and me- it's like fire. You're going to get burned. He says, flee from what? Youthful lusts. Now, Timothy's in his 30s. 
likely. So when we talk about youthful lust, don't just think of, you know, 16, 17. You know, you can be 80 and still struggle with youthful lusts. You don't have to be young to have youthful lusts. And lusts are just, don't just think in terms of the physical uh, or the sexual. It can be any strong craving that is typically attached with youthfulness. I've met, it can be greed, it can be power, it can be glory. There's a a lot of young people, they want to have glory. They want people to recognize, and and they do that by fashions and and by certain job choices. Some people choose a job because it's going to bring them glory. And so there's these youthful lusts that he talks about fleeing those things, running from that. And that may be a word for somebody here this morning. Flee those things. Get, get Run away from those things. But, but don't just run away, period. He says then, pursue. So you're running away from, but you're also running to. Flee youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Sometimes we, we come to Christ, uh, I was talking with a wonderful couple the other day about this, just sharing our stories and a, and, and a story of a friend of mine that I met a number of years ago. He had been an, an ecstasy addict and an alcoholic, and uh, he got saved. And so he, cl- he got cleaned up, you know, the Lord set him free from ecstasy and set him free from alcohol, but then he didn't know who he was. His whole personality, his whole social circles, everything revolved around his uh, being uh, on alcohol or on ecstasy. He's, he didn't know how to behave. He didn't know what to do if he wasn't going to those places and doing those things with those people. And so one th- if you flee that youthful lust or flee that thing, God doesn't just leave you hanging there out going, well, now what do I do? Because what happens if, you're, if you go, well, I'm going to get away from that, then if you don't replace it with something, you end up going right back to it because you don't know what else to do. So God gives us this replacement, he says, instead of craving those things, why don't you pursue righteousness? Instead of craving the things that are wrong, those relationships or those things or those experiences, why don't you pursue what's right? Why is it so hard to pursue what's right? You ever ask yourself that question? I always say, you know, when, when I was young, <clears throat> I had... I wasn't, I didn't do, drinking wasn't my thing. I didn't, that wasn't a thing that I struggled with. But occasionally, uh, the groups that I was part of uh, would go out and, and go drinking. And never did we, uh, at the end of the night, when, when the bars closed, never did we go, you know, guys, we really should uh, serve at the soup kitchen. We really need to get more involved with orphans in Africa. That never happened after a night of drinking. It just, it's not, you have to pursue Sin is what comes naturally. So you have to pursue to run after doing what's right. And you have to pursue faith. Pursue living by faith. It's easy to do things that don't take any faith. But Timothy, you can pursue faith. Pursue the things connected to that. And and you can uh, pursue love. It's so easy to pursue selfishness, isn't it? It's so easy to, to crave things for myself that hurt people and that hurt myself. But love suffers long and is kind. Love never seeks its own. Love's not puffed up, and you know everything else that Paul writes. 
So you have to pursue that. Paul said to the Corinthians, desire the spiritual gifts. You can't do anything about that. If God doesn't give you the gift, you can't make it happen. Desire the spiritual gifts, but pursue love. You can do that. You can pursue. Love is not a feeling. We have this misconception that love is a feeling. Love is not a feeling. It's an action. Love is a verb. It has to do with what you do. The feelings follow. So he says you can pursue love. You can make a choice to love somebody and do loving things, acts toward them, despite how you feel. Isn't that revolutionary? Timothy, otherwise Paul couldn't tell Timothy to pursue it, could he? And what else is he to pursue? Peace. He's to pursue peace. Instead of, you know, pursuing battles and... He says, pursue peace, but don't do it alone, Timothy. Don't do it alone. Who does he say to do it with? Pursue peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Who you hang around with really matters. This is not just for the young folks that that want to move on and serve the Lord. This is for us as well. If you find yourself being... uh, not being used to the extent you'd like to be, and you go, well, I don't know why God's not using me. Well, who's your peer group? Who are the people you spend the majority of your time with? Maybe your, your interaction with other folks that are, that are going the same direction as you, that want the same things you want, is very limited. And you spend most of your time with another group that really isn't involved with the things of the Lord. So he says, you know, pursue these things with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So you have to have a little bit of discernment. You've got to say, hey, this guy, this girl, they're serious about the Lord. I want to hang out with them. I want to get to know them. I want to spend time with them. Why is that so important? It's going to influence you, isn't it? It's going to influence your direction. I, I marked this in the Proverbs. It's in Proverbs 12. You don't have to go there. Proverbs 12, 26 says, The righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. You know, when, when, when you get sick and we hang out together, my presence doesn't make you healthy. Your presence makes me sick. Right? That, it, it, wouldn't you like it to be the other way around if, our, if we just hang out and we sh- I sneeze on you and you get healthy? <laughs> That's, I don't know why it doesn't work that way. It's just not the way it works. If you're hanging out with a crowd that's not going in the right direction, you're not going to typically influence them toward righteousness. They're going to influence you toward unrighteousness. Typically. Typically. And I'm not saying we need to you know, carve ourselves into a monastic order and never have contact with the world. You know that's not the gospel. We're going to have contact with unbelievers. We're going to have contact with the wicked. You should have. You need to have. Is the opposite sin of, of isolating yourself with just Christians is, is just as bad. But the point is, is you can be very negatively influenced um, by people that have other motives and other desires that are going in a different direction. Find, find people that are living the godly life you want to live, doing the things you admire, and hang out with them. Spend time with them. Get to know them. Ask them what makes them tick. Pursue peace with those that 
call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Another way to not be used by God is to end up in disputes. Verse 23 says, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Man, don't, get, don't waste time. Life is short, isn't it? Life is so short. I've got so many things to do that are good and right and positive. I just don't have time to argue with someone that's not interested in learning. And not only that, it's a terrible witness to the people that hear the argument. And it's, it's foolish. It's foolish disputes and it's, it's, it just involves ignorance and it's just no good. It just, all it causes at the end of the day is you just go home, go home feeling a knot in your stomach, right? You just go home feeling, man, that, was, oh, that wasn't fun. And all you did was argue. Don't be that way. Verse 24 says, you want to be a vessel that's used by God for honor? A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So if you want to be uh, used by God to the fullest, then you know, don't get involved in quarreling or uh, literally it's the word for hand-to-hand combat. Some, of, some people are just looking for a fight, just ready to go and mix it up with someone, uh, just get into an intellectual debate with somebody. And it's, it's not about winning. Look, the Christian life is not about winning arguments, it's about winning souls. So if you find yourself in that, don't, be, don't get drawn in by someone who's argumentative. Be gentle to all. Is that you? Are you gentle? Are you gentle to everybody? Gentle to the folks that think differently than you, that believe differently than you? Are you able to keep your cool? You know, the Bible says a, a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath. Sometimes I think the problem in the body of Christ is we take stuff so personally. It's hard for us to, to uh, tease out the person from the way that they act. And we get drawn in so easily to that argument or that discussion. And it heats up and heats up and escalates. Look, just be gentle. Be gentle. If, they don't, if they're not there yet, they don't see it the way you see it. They're not going to see it unless the Lord shows them. You can't, you're not going to win them to, to Christ by arguing with them. Have you found that to be true? I have. I, I have done that. I've sinned in that way so many times. But as I am growing in the Lord, He's, he's teaching me just to be, to be gentle and listen to people. Listen to what they're saying. Uh, a servant of the Lord uh, should be able to teach. Just simply, you're just, you're just instructing them. You ever see a math teacher just get angry at their class because they can't learn geometry? Oh, you kids are just, you know. No, you're gentle and you just, okay, let's, let's go over this again, right? Whew, okay, let's start over. And, and you're able to teach. You have to be patient. Some of you in here are teachers, right? And teaching is a tough job, and it's even tougher these days, especially with the, the things that you guys have been up against in this school district and the challenges that you faced with uh, work days being cut. Being a teacher is tough. And the students can be tough. Would I be out of place saying that it takes a lot of patience to be a teacher? 
<laughs> you can say amen. It's okay. Amen. It does. It takes a lot of patience because you've got to battle you got to battle bureaucracy, you got to battle parents, you got to battle behaviors, you got to battle all. And it's no different in the body of Christ, is it? Look, be patient with people. That's what they'll appreciate. Be a good listener. Here, you know, look, every time I've been in a discussion with somebody and I'm listening to them, I always find out and I always understand that there's something behind what they're saying. What they're saying to me, what they believe, what they're holding on to. There's a reason, and it's usually a lot deeper than on the surface. So you've got you to be patient, recognizing that, that, that what they're arguing for and why they're so zealous about that is because of something they've been through. Some hurt that they've sustained or some past that they've had. You know, last time I talked with a guy who was just so zealous about, uh, about, Christ, about Christians not being you know, uh, true, Christianity not being true. And, oh, he was just so mad. I said, so who in your family was a pastor, your father or your grandfather? And I was right. He'd been burned, uh, well, had perceived being burned because his father was a pastor and lived a double life. Saw him living one way at church, another way at home. And so when you get into a discussion, you recognize you've got to peel back those layers, and it takes time, and it takes patience, and it takes relationships to do that, being kind and gentle, able to teach. It takes humility. And when it comes to knowledge, the Bible says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So it's easy to, you know, we're, we're Calvary Chapel. We go through the Bible verse by verse. You know, we somehow one-up everybody else, and that can puff you up. And if you've learned something here that the guy down the street at the other church did, doesn't understand, then, then don't flaunt that. Don't be a jerk about that. Go in humility. Because you don't know it all yet either. You're going to discover it. You better discover something new next year that you didn't know this year. And that makes you recognize, I haven't arrived yet. And in that humility, uh, we, we, you know, hey, maybe, maybe we can talk about this. In humility, doing what? What's it say? Correcting those who are in opposition. So, it doesn't mean we avoid these things. There's time when we have to confront these things. When we don't, you know, we don't want to just let a person wallow in a lie. You know, we might have to say, hey, you know... Uh, I don't mean to, to barge in, but that's not true. You know, uh, the other day in the, we were in the parking lot of Food Lion, and I saw there was a car parked there, and, and the, um, the telltale car with the bike rack was next to it, and a couple guys in suits, obviously the Mormon church. And we were going into to Food Lion, and I just this battle is going on with it, with, within me. They're hunting for souls. And I'm just going to walk on into Food Lion? I, I can't. I got, I, the Lord turned me around, and... I interrupt the conversation. I'm like, hey, what are you guys talking about? You know, you're talking about eternal things? And so, you know, because they're hunting for souls. And here I am, a Christian. So there's time when you have to get involved in these conversations, not to quarrel, not to prove you're right, not to, but to correct someone's wrong way of looking at something. If, the Bible says, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. Now, the issue is not on God's side. Paul is just looking at this from the very practical standpoint that sometimes people listen and sometimes they don't. And the only way they're going to get it is if God is doing a work in their heart and they're willing to... So on one side, God, the Spirit of God has to be drawing them. But on the other side, they have to be yielding to the Spirit of God. 
So maybe it'll work out. Maybe they'll, you'll, you'll win them over. You'll explain to them and they'll go, oh, I didn't understand that. But maybe not. Either way, it doesn't mean you, you avoid it. Hey, maybe God, that's a life-changing thing. You can, you can save someone's life that way. If perhaps God will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. That's what, it's not about winning the argument, is it? It's not about proving your intellectual prowess as you sharpen the, the sword of the Spirit and ah, jab people with it. Ah, gotcha. No. It's that they might know the truth. Because what does the Bible say about the truth? It sets people free. The truth about what? The truth about sin. The truth about pe- people being slaves to sin. People don't like to hear that. Well, it's just a lifestyle. Well, actually, you know, the Bible says it's sin. Really? Yeah. And the Bible says you can also be free. And here's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you. And, you know, so maybe they'll be open to that conversation. Because that's what you want, folks. You want people to come uh, to, the, to know the truth. Verse 26, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And all of this is the result of false teachers and false teaching. Uh, a lot of the false teaching in that day would lead people to live, uh, to uh, actually live in sin. There was teaching that said, well, these things aren't sin. You can enjoy these things and still be a Christian. And we have that thing today, don't we? But the Bible gives us, and Paul gives us, what's going on behind the scenes. It's, it's not just on the surface, as we might think. It's not just their intellect. It says that they may come to their senses and escape what? The snare of the devil. The devil's a cunning, cunning creature. And he sets, and lies are seductive. And literally, the word come to their senses means to sober up. If, if those of you that have had a, pack, a background in drinking and drinking too much, then you, you know what it's, it's like to, having been drinking all night, to find yourself in a place and go, where am I? It's not a good feeling, is it? You wake up or you come to your senses out of the drunken stupor and you realize, what just happened? Where, where was I? What have I done? And that's what it's like when people hear false teaching. There's something seductive about it. They can get lured into it and almost get drunk on it, so to speak. And it might be you that brings them to their senses because they're caught in a trap. And they really they wake up, they go, man, I've been in a trap. And if you've studied world religions, if you've studied uh, cults and things like that, you see and you can sense just what a trap it is. Because when you go behind, when you get underneath, you see what's wrong with it. And they've been taken captive by the devil to do his will. And that was the thought that I had as I was walking across the parking lot. They don't know what, what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. So, man, we're going to stop there for today. Um, and we're going to sing a, a song to close out with. It is such a joy to know the truth. And, and you know, to be able to say... Well, you know, I, I understand you have that other book, but let's go to the Bible together. Let's see what the Bible says about that. Let's get into the Word of God together. If you can show me that, not just from certain select verses that you pick, but from the Word of God, then, then we have some grounds to discuss on. You guys have such a gift. Do you know that? You have such a gift. You have the Word of God. It's living and it's powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Even discerns the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
And I want to see folks, uh, myself, the young folks, the teenagers. Man, what a work God is doing among our, among our teenagers as they're gathering together, worshiping together, and seeking to, to spur one another on to love and good works. And I want to see that across the, the whole congregation. That we are a people, not just whom God loves, although He does, and we know that, but whom God can use. So as we close out, our, our, when God reaches for a tool, an instrument, does He look at you and go, oh, I'd love to use this person, but man, there's some misunderstanding, some dirtiness that still is existing in their life that just needs to be dealt with. So until that's, I'll put them away for a little bit. Sobering stuff, huh? You didn't come here to, for me to coddle you, did you? You go, to, you go somewhere else for that. You know we're going to talk straight, right? Because the benefit is, what if I was to hide this? Then it's all about the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. And the truth will set you free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then we'll sing a closing song. Father, we just present ourselves as living sacrifices. Lord, those areas we ask you, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts. Lord, see if there is any wicked way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. Lord, help us to flee from those things that are connected to midlife crisis or youthful lust. Things we ought to be past and get over. Lord, help me to be more useful, Lord. I don't want to limit your work in my life uh, through some silly craving of something that won't matter in eternity anyway. Some temporary desire. Lord, our prayer this morning is that you would take these broken vessels and use us to bring glory to the Master's house. And it's in Jesus' name, all of God's people anticipating being used said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand.